but when are you actually going to get the cash? You understand that you're bankrupt. And he looked at me. He says, and this guy had Harvard degrees off the wazoo. He's like, that's impossible. I just raised all this money. He says, yes, but before I got on here, you just signed all these major commitments, which are ironclad, with money out the door. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. There are various ways of creating a financial budget. In fact, the key to budgetary planning is not to spend time in getting the 99% accuracy with your budget. It's the monitoring of the budget that matters more so that you can take appropriate actions based on how far off you are from your budget. Budget planning is even more critical for industries with large amounts of inventory, heavy capital equipment, and human resources-driven industries. The budget planning could even vary across industries. So what are the features you need in a tool designed for budgeting? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss budgeting, business processes, best practices. We covered many grounds, including the impact of supply chain and cash flow on budget and different methods of budgeting. Finally, we covered the difference between forecast versus budget, strategic versus regular budget, and income brands business processes. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation, and we always have an expert panel who's willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very exciting topic, but probably boring, okay? It's called budgeting. <laughs> and we are going to have a lot of fun discussing budgeting because that is typically maintained in the spreadsheet. We have all seen budgeting nightmares and budget is never going to be right. We all know that irrespective of how much. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intro. I am going to start with my intro. I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. Uh, Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. And we help our clients with the system selection, contract negotiation, ERP project recovery, ERP implementation. And I am keeping my intro short for a reason because Chris has a lot to talk today. So I'm actually going to move to Chris. Chris, your intro, please. Thanks, Sam. Chris Ghiardini. I'm the president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. So uh, I've been implementing uh, our business, uh, Microsoft Dynamics business solutions for the past 30 plus years. I love the budgeting topic. It allows you to control people to the nth degree. 
Don't know okay, and you had to go to beach to talk about budgeting because it is so boring, <laughs> right? Yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Bob, I'm actually going to move to you next for uh, your intro, please. Great, thanks, Sam. Bob Feathers, I work for Bindable. We're in the SaaS space for InsureTech. Uh, so we provide technology to enable our clients to do distribution of PNC insurance products. But I come here with over 30 years experience in the manufacturing world, client services, finance, operations management, and business system implementations, specializing in ERP. Love it. Thank you so much uh, for being here, Bob. Evan, can I ask you to introduce yourself, standing back after a long time? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Aaron Spool, I'm a partner at Aventus Advisor Group. We are an on-demand CF controller and accounting firm for mid-sized companies. So uh, we do budgeting every day. Okay, love it. And Jim, joining for the first time, would you like to introduce yourself next? Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jim Downs, and I'm the founder of Blueprint CFO. We're a fractional CFO and accounting services firm. Our clients tend to be emerging growth businesses that are growing very fast, but they aren't paying attention to their data. So we help them get their arms around their financial and operating data to uh, make better business decisions. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Jim. And... uh... Before we move into the topic, if you are in the audience joining for the first time, make sure you guys are going to be commenting uh, because our panelists are going to make sure they are going to get back to you. We'll try to cover during the show. If we cannot get to them, we'll make sure we'll get back to you. On that note, I am going to start with my first question, and that is going to be just setting the stage for budgeting and maybe different methods. Chris, do you want to start? I'd love to. Thank you, Sam. So, you know, there's a lot of we start off with why do we budget yeah. and you know organizations that don't do that would say well why should i and and there's two extremes on it one is to drive performance and i think if you set set goals and i think if you think about goal setting and people that set goals actually attain goals and they actually perform better than those that don't so budgets are in essence goal setting um and again to the nth degree and we'll talk about that crawl walk run but to the nth degree you're holding people accountable and you're forcing them to get into the minutiae the details and prove up the budgets and form to those and i think that's again we're driving performance so on the other things control because you just don't have any more money so that's a bigger problem. You're out of money and you go spend more than you have and you got a bigger problem. So as you think about the crawl, walk, run on budgets, and I'll just kind of walk through that is, you know, and people that don't have a discipline, where do they start? Well, they look at what the performance was for the prior fiscal year. And so this is general ledger data. And they say, okay, well, I think we want to grow 10%. And they take the dollars from last year and maybe they do just times 10 or plus 10% and say, here's our budget. And they may tweak them a little, but this isn't a macro level. This is a very corporate level. Okay, great. And then they measure the performance and maybe they pay attention and they run over and they miss and they said, okay, great. So no accountability. The, at the next level of budgeting, you, you take the, the stakeholders or the department heads and you give them portion of their budget and you say, look, here's the, we want 10%. Here's the 10% number. Work it, own it. We're still only at level two. Okay, and they go, great, great, great. They influence that. They get that. And, and again, to go with that, they need real-time financial reporting so they can say, okay, how are we doing on budgeting? And so let's talk about the next level, where now those numbers that they gave you, because Bob said it earlier, how do they substantiate that? Where did you go? Oh, we're going to do $2 million in revenue. Okay, prove it up. And so that next level is where we start talking about forecasting. We try to compose a budget from a forecast, which means we substantiate. And so whether that's a sales forecast and we get real granular by this customer is going to buy this product because they bought this much last year. We think they'll grow, they'll grow more. So we start micro, we can roll it up. We can actually prove out through a forecast that that budget is real or attainable. And then try to drive to that performance and try to drive maybe the account management to the customers. There's other budgets that could show up from vendors where they say, you need to grow your 
market share by 10%. Well, that's, that's a real budget that needs to get in the system and you need to track performance against it. And then there's projects where you have work and you're trying to roll up that forecast for revenue, but spans capital, what equipment am I going to buy, human resources, what people am I going to hire, benefits, facilities, IT, it goes and goes and goes. And at the end of the day, again, we're driving performance, discipline, that crawl, walk, run, and, and, and where I stopped and I have it on an outline so I didn't forget is even to that point, now I got this budget reservations. Some organizations get even more extreme on that control thing so they don't spend more because there's no more money and they have to reserve the money. And then, and so now it's, my report says, oh, here's my actual, here's my budget. I have this much available. Wrong. Commitments. We creep into this next stage. It's called encumbrance where now I just don't get my budget, but now I need to know what I've committed to the budget. So again, I'm ordering stuff and I, oh, all the bills show up. I'm like, oops, I spent three times what I have. Okay. No encumbrance. So again, you start looking at budget, actual commitment available. And then there's that revisions. And then we get into security and who can approve it, who can change it and who can override it. And how do I transfer money in and out and workflow and discipline? And again, it gets deep. And as you get into encumbrance, again, a lot of granularity. So I'm going to stop there. Like I said, I think that's a pretty yeah, it's definitely a very good start. And I think, you know, you uh, have a lot of different layers there. And I don't know how many people are going to be familiar with uh, income brands. So I'm actually going to dig further into that. So tell us more about income brands. Maybe you have a story that you might be able to tell. Yeah, uh, that yeah. was the stage for income brands as it's, well. It's really interesting that encumbrance is, is again, we're at the, at the forefront of requisitioning where, you know, hey, I need to buy a laptop. And a user may have a form, they just submit a request, and right there, it checks the budget. Oh, sorry, you don't have any availability. And again, it's looking at your budget, your actual, what's been booked, what's been paid, et cetera, what's been committed, and it calculates available, and what you're trying to buy exceeds, and it's right then. Now, if there's room in that budget, it encumbers it immediately. What that means is it books it as a committed expense, which means a second later, somebody tries to create another PO or a requisition, now it's out of money. I haven't even sent the PO to the vendor. I haven't received the inventory, but I've booked that commitment such that there's no way I can exceed my budget amount. And I'll get a warning right there. And now I'm going to trigger a workflow and I, oh, I need to get more money. And, and in governmental and municipalities, again, that's a big deal to come up with more money. They just always don't have it. Or they may have a slush fund or something to say, but that becomes a much more complex process. But it's stopped right there on the front end because those commitments, if, they're, if there's room and they're approved, they're encumbered and encumbrance is just that. And it's there's funded organizations that have no tolerance for going over those budgets. You can't, can't do it. Period. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Bob, I'm actually going to come to you. And obviously we are looking at just different methods of, uh, you know, budgeting, if there are going to be any pros and cons. Uh, I know Chris has already touched on a lot of different methods and you actually uh, were in a large uh, finance organization. So I'm pretty sure you had big budgeting process, but I don't know if the ERP system really supported the income brands process. That seems like a very involved you know, People are going to be fighting with each other. That is the fun part that I like in the organization. So setting the stage and maybe you want to touch a little bit on, you know, how you handle the income brands in your organization. Yeah. So we didn't, <laughs> I guess this is the best way to say it. Um, you know, not in a really meaningful manner, not in the ERP, not the way we would like to or should have. Uh, so it really was still at an Excel level, right? It was still very kind of, but going back to what Chris said, we certainly got the information, right? So you had an, the analysis. You kind of said, okay, where where were we and where do we think we're going to go? And you'll really look at that and try to get down to those weeds. And you'll kind of like, again, I want to kind of touch on two things, you know, Chris talked about the different levels. One is to make sure you have the right people in the room. 
I don't understand when you're doing budgets, there's different reasons. People need different things out of it, right? Part of it is, you know, just the revenue schedule. And there's this kind of these measurements like the salespeople want to know, like, who am I going to sell to? And I got to I got to pay commission based on what I said I'm going to do. So they have a certain level or they're kind of looking at one thing. Um, the other is the cost schedule, right? So you're looking at the other side is going to be when I'm manufacturing, am I kind of controlling my costs and my expectations? So the you know operations guys are really kind of controlling that and really responsible for that. Then you have the whole expense schedule, right? Like going back to Chris's point, like what am I spending and am I controlling that? And who's you know making who's making those decisions? So everyone you know to come in a different piece. Then you have, of course, just the cash flow. Can I in fact do these things? You know, what what's the timing of all these things as they're happening? And just kind of making sure you're monitoring those pieces. And again, Chris tested but I just want to kind of touch it again because it's it's also about the reason you do it is you're trying to forecast and make decisions about what you think's gonna happen to support what your goals are. I need to hire people to support where I need to grow the business. When can I hire them? When can I take these people on? You know, when does this happen? Um, or I need to buy equipment to support this new business opportunity. And when's that going to happen? Am I going to do it in time? Um, and then kind of replacing old equipment and projects. So again, you you really have to get into that level. So again, it's getting the right people in the room, but also understanding what their whys are, because everyone has a different why into that whole piece. Um, so, you know, to take it back a step is it's really the business itself. You have to look at what is your, what's your product, right? Are you a make to order plant? Are you a make to stock plant? Are you an assemble to order? Like you kind of have to understand those. So you really think about what am I going to sell? Who am I going to sell it to? When am I going to sell it to them? Uh, what am I going to sell it for? Right. Just, I really have to understand these things. You really have to, that level three to me is almost kind of where you need to start a little bit. Cause you really got to think about that level. I think it starts at level three because the other stuff's just fine in the sky. I want to grow 10%. Great. I mean, just, you know, again, you can set the budget. doesn't mean anything. So again, I think you really have to think at level three to start. In my eyes, just I think you really need to think about where I'm going to start because it all starts at the top, right? P&L, revenue, everything else below. So it's like, okay, what am I going to do here? And then I'll start to figure out the bottom part. But what I'm going to sell helps me to figure out what I'm going to, what's going to cost me and what, what I have to pay for it. And along this line, I'll just throw one more thread just to kind of add to this piece is, so I have this piece of my outputs, right? What am I going to sell and who am I going to sell to? I have to think about the other side. Where am I going to get my materials from? So let's just take one particular case. Oh, I'm going to sell this brand new product. It's a real great innovation. The market really needs it. And I'm like, I've got the corner on the market. Have you really met with your vendors to make sure they can supply where you think this product's going to go? Have you had that conversation to say, hey, by the way, we got the new product. It's going to go gangbusters. We know we've got orders for it. Can you get me the supplies? Because you can say, I'm going to grow this innovative business and your suppliers aren't ready to support you. So again, there's a, you really also have to think about the other side as the inputs. Where's it coming from? Okay, very interesting commentary there. So I'm definitely going to ask you to, uh, you know, provide some more colors there. Overall, people don't think or cannot correlate, at least in their head, how supply chain is going to be related to budgeting. Um, so obviously, you know, if your vendors are not going to supply, uh, I understand there's going to be a little problem. Uh, but how is that going to be related to budgeting overall? When you are deciding the budget, you are just putting some numbers together. They don't mean anything anyways. Uh, you don't have to think as much, right, Bob? No. <laughs> so so it, it is. It's like, what are the materials? So again, I remember we were going through the change and we were moving towards taking regular credit cards, MagStripe credit cards, to making chip cards. Well, guess what? MagStripe card is more of a commodity product. MagStripe is cheap. Chips are expensive. Chips start at 20 cents and go up to 80 cents to a dollar, depending on what you're making. So you had to really think about your cash flow because all of a sudden I'm going to go out there and buy a lot of inventory. 
So my balance sheet's going to go up, which is great, right? And now I can I can borrow more money because I'm worth more on paper. My balance sheet has more. I have more value to my company, but I have to pay for that because the vendor is going to want me to pay. And and then how fast am I going to turn the materials to get them to my client that I'm going to get paid? So another component of this is also your terms. Do you know how your customers pay you? Do you know how you pay your vendors or their expectations? Because again, this goes back to cash flow. So this is really, again, cash flow is a cash flow really to me again is one of those real critical components that Chris touched upon. It's like when's the money gonna come in? When's the money gonna go out? And you know, how that cycle. So again, if you're buying this brand new innovative material, but it costs a lot more money, that's a change. And you really have to you have to budget for that. You have to understand what's going on inside of your budget, your Cash flow, your B, your P and L. When's it going to go out? When's it going in? Uh, when do I have to pay for it? So yeah, it's part of your budget because it's your cost of goods, but it's also your your cash flow, which is really an critical component of that. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. And when we think of cash flow, I mean the only thing comes to my mind is going to be Aaron's pool, and that's why I'm actually going to come to Aaron. Uh, okay, Aaron. So set the stage for budgeting and tell us more about why cash flow is so important for budgeting and i'm pretty sure you are probably going to have two hours you can go on just that. <laughs> i'll i'll just give you a little story and that'll kind of explain uh i was working with a medical manufacturer got a i'm speaking very generically here because uh uh as, as confidentiality is important and they had just raised i'm going to do some round numbers here roughly 14 million dollars and i come into the room and I was brought on by an investor group after just to make sure to steward the money that they just gave this company. And I sit down with the senior executive. I said, okay, let's talk about your plans to use this money. And he said, and he gives me, because it's lead time for medical manufacturing is very long. And I, I said, okay, I took all of his data. I went back, threw it into Excel, came back to him and says, I just want to confirm this. You plan on spending X, Y, and Z. And over the next 10 months, and then the first time you plan on having any revenue whatsoever is in 13 months. But when are you actually going to get the cash? And after I put all this together, really a simple, simple like four lines, you understand that you're bankrupt. And he looked at me, just, and this guy had Harvard degrees off the wazoo. I just single out Harvard, but actually, I think PhD, I'm, I have a whole bunch of other. And he's like, you, he's like, that's impossible. I just raised all this money. He says, Yes, but you just before I got on here, you just signed all these major commitments, which are ironclad of money out the door. You are effectively bankrupt. You just don't, you just ha- it's it's like you're dead, but you don't know it. You're just you're you're literally you're literally the Walking Dead. Uh, you have a five million dollar hole in these three months, and you're hoping that you can make revenue off these. And there's no guaranteed contract, so. I don't know unless you want to go back to the investor and said, listen, you need an extra 20 million to tide you over for the next couple of months after you just raised. And that this goes into it's it's where Bob was saying is that people don't think cash flow. They don't think of they also don't think about what they've committed to and that careful with you know your commitments, especially legal commitments, you might not be able to get out of them. And if something changes, now you're kind of stuck. They uh, ended up they did do well. But because the same investors put in more cash, all ended well for the company, but it was required thing that they did not think possible, which was massive dilution. And so that high level story there, but it shows it was shocking to me. Brilliant minds who had brilliant drugs that they were building, all this biomedical work, and yet they really didn't put, we're talking algebra. 
Not even algebra. We're talking arithmetic. There was no, there was no multiplication either. There's a lot of pluses and minuses. A lot more minuses than pluses, obviously, because they went, they were going to go bankrupt. Uh, I just, I, 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 I shouldn't. I, Jim's going next, and he does something similar to me. He probably has the same stories. I, I have to stop being surprised. And now uh, the people have never stopped surprising me with their capacity of not knowing arithmetic. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Go ahead. So. Bob said it. Now Aaron said it. You know, it's interesting. And I never thought about budgeting financial ratios. And so now we're back to or is budgeting related to KPIs. Right, Aaron? And so if you think about having a real pulse on balance sheet equity and you're right, it's funny. People go, well, there's money in the bank, but none of it's yours. So you're negative equity. So, ha ha. <laughs> Chris, I would I would go even more basic. It's I, the KPIs are great, but it, it goes to what does it? I, we've, you, you've hinted at this and sort of Bob. What does it take to actually create this thing? And that and so part of it is like, what does it take from a cash perspective? And you've all said this as well as you might have this plan, but who else in the company are you committing to? Uh, commit, committing for meaning, you know, product might say, hey, here's a product roadmap, and then the IT group's like, well, I don't have enough engineers, and uh, sorry, so I need four new engineers. And guess what? The marketplace, I can't hire them at this speed. Forget, forget the budget. It's, it's, and that's a different type of supply chain issue. <laughs> and I, it goes back to Chris's, what you mentioned, what Bobby mentioned, getting the, the right people in the room because you might inadvertently, and you should inadvertently be signing other people up for commitments to create things or support things that they had no idea about. And, and that's not even getting into the revenue side of the house. Which, uh, and I would say that the biggest nightmare in a budget uh, process, you probably all have heard this, is that after the budget has been approved and signed off and now people are held accountable to it, like, this isn't my budget. Oh, this was just a finance exercise. Oh, I love that. A finance exercise. Well, all right. Well, it's, and then how many times is this budget actually tied to someone's comp plan? Attainment of budget. And then, well, I've been signed off on that budget. So it, it, uh, I, I, I'm digressing, so I'm going to pause right now, and I'm going to I'm going to give it back to you, Sam. Okay, amazing. So yeah, I'm actually going to come to Jim, and obviously when we are talking about financial exercise, we have to talk to a CFO, and Jim is the right fit for that. So Jim, uh, in this story, the story that Aaron just mentioned, where obviously this is a massive cash flow problem, I don't know if it can be solved by budgeting. So let's say if you were the CFO and you were sort of aware that you should not be making these financial commitments uh, and you were to solve this problem with budgeting, how would you solve it? You can talk about that or you can talk about different methods or whatever we have spoken so far. Well, I mean, I think everybody touched on this uh, topic, but it starts with having a plan. So I don't think you can do a budget without having a plan. And um, I've been doing fractional CFO work for 20 years or so and worked with hundreds of companies. And very rarely do I walk in and, and the client has a well-defined plan written down that they've communicated to everybody in the company. It's usually in the head of the entrepreneur. Now, we're, we're work, I'm working with emerging growth companies that are le- usually less than 100 employees up to 50, 50 to 70 million in sales. So uh, just universally, they don't, they don't do a good job of planning, which leads to the budget. You can, I don't know how you can do a budget without having a, a plan documented in terms of you know, what kinds of customers you're trying to attract, what kind of products you're trying to sell, what changes you're trying to make in the company to make it more efficient or more profitable. That all needs to be built into your budget, what we, we call strategic budgeting. And so um, 
the, and the other thing everybody's touched on is is the ownership of the budget. Typically, it's done by the owner or the, the CEO, and he or she passes it down and says, okay, here's our budget, and there's no ownership because people are going, oh, that's my budget? Oh, and they go into their office and put their head on their desk and close the door and start crying because, you know, now that I'm, they've, just, they've theoretically signed up for something that they're really not in, committed to achieving, which causes all kinds of trouble. Okay, amazing insights there. So obviously you had a lot of different layers there and planning is obviously super important. But when you think about the strategic budget is what you had mentioned, right? So I don't know what is going to be the difference between the budgeting and the strategic budgeting. So in your experience, how would you uh, differentiate between these? Well, so let me give you an example. Most clients, when they do a budget, how they, what they do is they take last year's results and they say, we're going to do 10% better next year. So they add 10% to the revenue line. And then they say, but you know, our costs aren't only going to go up 5%. And so that's, that's how they do budgeting. And that's totally ridiculous. It doesn't. And then, then they check the box and say, okay, we have a budget. And they don't really look at it as they go to, through the different months of the year. They should be looking at it every month and saying, are we on budget? Are we not on budget? You know, if we're not in, if not on budget, what should we do differently? It tends to do, um, be a check the box exercise where it's not really a living budget. You know, budget should be reviewed every month and, and tweaked, you know, because things change and you can't, you can't just do it once a year. You, you've got to continually be uh, updating yourself. Last year, I had, we have a lot of clients in consumer products industries. And the issue last year was the supply chain where a lot of products didn't make it to the U.S. on time for the spring selling season, the summer selling. Well, you need, you need to revisit your budget because you may not hit your sales numbers now which is going to go back to your cash flow. <laughs> Everybody's talking about cash. Cash is, is at the end of the day where we're trying to get to. We're trying to generate cash. But if you're burning cash, then you better be aware of that and, and plan ahead to make sure you don't run out of money. And most, most client, I think most, comp, most smaller companies, I don't know about larger companies. I've, I've told this story to friends of mine that work for large companies. And go, we're horrible at that. But you know, I think all companies need to do a better job in that area. Yeah, I just want to build because I really like the idea of the strategic budgeting, right? And I'll just throw in like one other kind of thread along that line, really at this kind of level three that we talked about in this forecasting is, again, looking at the market for your product, right? And sometimes it's easy to just break it into a couple categories, right? You don't have to overdo it for every client, but to say, is there price erosion, right? Is this product, you know, is this product at a price erosion zone where I'm going to get less for it? So going back to like, I'm just going to make more of this, you know, make more of it. Well, maybe I need to make more of it in general because there's, I'm going to get less for it. So price erosion, you kind of go like, oh, these clients are probably in this price erosion. Is there the new innovation space, right? Do I have products that are kind of innovations or new business for me? And I know maybe I can build upon those. And what does that look like? Is there market saturation? Maybe you're at a point, right, where you have a mature product. So really understanding where your product cycle is. And maybe, again, there's going to be kind of leveled off or it becomes more commodity. You know, it's more of a commodity product. And then what's your market competition? Because it's never stagnant, right? As your business is growing or changing, maybe there's more competitors. So really strategic is really, again, really thinking about that whole plan and looking about your products and looking at the market and looking at what you can do with those products and really understanding that because it really helps to build that plan. Because if you just say, I'm going to do 10% more, but it's all commodity products, well, then you just need to make more, which means you just need to have more capacity. So again, kind of really level, you know, understanding what that level is to me. You really got to spend your time. You know, it's, it's important. So I like the idea of strategic. I like that word kind of added into it. Okay, amazing. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. You have a comment? So on Bob, you 
great point. Risks, you know, the risk uh, to the budget. I mean, you, 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 great, great comments. And again, Jim, on the supply chain, you're so right. It's like, hey, this is all in utopia, where it's all going to happen. Do the math. And you're right. They say, man, why didn't that happen? So great points, guys. But the risk mitigation and really identifying those as part of your planning process, I think, is it behooves you because then you can combat that. How do you how do you plan ahead? And I think even as you go to the capital planning, what one of my partners, big warehouse, he got more more inventory. Well, back to cash, back to doing the math right. So anyway, great points, guys. Okay, amazing guys. So, uh, you know, the next segment is going to be about really, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen any differences across industries, if they are going to have different budgeting process. Uh, I know a lot of people have touched that you should be looking at your plan and plan is typically unique for each business. So my assumption is going to be the budgeting process is probably going to be slightly more unique to each industry as well. I don't know, Chris, if you have seen any specific differences across industries, that is number one. And I don't know, uh, and obviously, technology is going to be part of it, right? We have to talk about ERP on this show. So uh, I don't know if you have seen any specific features that you have seen that are really relevant. Some ERP systems or accounting systems uh, that might be there. They might support the budgeting process slightly better than the other. What have you seen in, in your experience? And I, and I have. And I think as we go back to the when the budgets are posed on the revenue forecast side and some of the costs from the underlying subledgers, meaning human capital forecasting capability rolls up into the human capital budget. Sales forecasting rolls up into the sales revenue budget. Projects maybe into the project revenue budget. And then even as you do capital planning from fixed assets. And so I think that as you get to the, the lower level granularity. And so, but as you go back to the forecasting where the, some of the ERP systems have deficiencies is the, is the formulization. So why do we go to a CPM, a big, more robust budgeting? So it's not always, a lot of them connect, connect all the users, but it's those formulas and the expressions. Because now they're down in the minutiae, right? They're really doing formulas to calculate to the points of the other panelists. Market share, products, growth forecasts, but a lot of variables that a lot of the standard ERPs just can't do. So again, if you're just doing the plus 10%, most of the systems will do that. You can take it out to Excel, plus whatever percent, and put it back in. But when you get into the forecasting, again, I see a bolt-on showing up to most standard ERPs because they can't get into the formulization. And what people are doing is they're doing it in Excel, but the problem is they need to go to a product because they need to collaborate across hundreds of different participants so that we're not combining data and everybody, it's online and it's live. And so, again, as you think about architecture, you don't want anybody to hold your budget hostage. And so when you're little guys, you got one Excel spreadsheet, you're passing it around. Who's got the budget, right? In the future state, big orgs. Hundreds of users, nationally dispersed, globally dispersed. Everybody has to have their budget, their space. They work, they submit workflow. It's approved and it's aggregated up. And so, again, those don't typically show up in a standard ERP product. So, Okay, very interesting. So you have a lot of different systems there. And I want to make sure that we are understanding the architecture a little bit. And obviously, you have at least three or four or five different systems. That's a lot. And Aaron is going to hit me for this because he's like a spreadsheet in QuickBooks, you know, he's a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> so here, now we are talking about very expensive ERP system. We are talking about one of the ACM system. We are talking about CRM system. And then you have the CPM system, I guess. I got one. I got one. Right? Uh, I, do I have a data warehouse here? I have spe so specific story is, so I walked into, I sell Microsoft Dynamics. I have a NetSuite customer that showed up. And so they need this. They've got 700 employees and they're global and they needed a budgeting solution and they needed the forecasting. And so basically I'm selling something. So I brought in my partner 
profits. And so, but it's probably, you know, hundred grand, $150,000, but there's two-way integration, right? They're sucking all the NetSuite actuals and profits then becomes the reporting mechanism for all these people, but it allows their users to live in that space. And again, I'm like, okay, is there a deficiency in NetSuite? But there's a perfect example where, and profits does become a data warehouse because you've got mapping and integration, two-way loops, right? You're pulling it out. You're doing all the budgeting over here. You're probably not relying on the financial reporting in a, in a NetSuite any longer. Once you move up into a CPM, that is the whole user experience. Budgeting, workflow, reporting, analytics, it all looks up there. But that's that's a perfect example. But it's two systems, a NetSuite. And that now, let's be clear, we may, may need to consume CRM data into there. You're so right. And we may need to have to go after, oh, wait, wait, there's a separate PLM. You're right. So there could be more data points Oh, we have Workday. Sorry, I forgot about Workday. We're going to Workday into that. You love it. You're right. It's But it's a lot of integration. And at the end of the day, if you manage it and you architect it correctly, it's a hands-off situation. It really is hands-off. So don't be fearful about bit, b- building integration technology. That's the world we live in. Everybody's got APIs and we're aggregating. And it, yes, but you're right. It's a data warehouse. So. Yeah, and I can clearly see on it's your face cheap, that Aaron but... was actually coming next and everybody is afraid of Aaron, okay? It is going to happen today, <laughs> All right. Uh, let so- them drive the business. It lets these people <laughs> see what they need to do real time, and they go out and accountability. I think it just comes back to accountability. That's really what money you spend to get more accountability. Okay, Bob. Uh, ERP processes, uh, the systems, uh, what do you have seen overall from the budgeting perspective? Is it primarily the spreadsheet, or uh, do you see multiple systems being used for the budgeting process? Yeah, back to, I mean, the ERPs aren't really great at that budgeting piece. It's really just more the reporting. Where we try to live or try to migrate to is like a, a BI product, right? So just getting a business intelligence product, just, you know, just having that data warehouse, just bringing the information out. But within that space, you could then, you know, kind of add components or add pieces to it about your budget you can measure again. So, you know, you can, you can add that in there. So that that's a decent enough starting point. It's a little better than a spreadsheet. It's just, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a spreadsheet on steroids, just in a place where people can access it. But again, you're bringing in that real-time information, right? You're bringing in information from the, the ERP, but you have to be careful. And this is what happens a lot is it's about posting, right? It's, now you have to really think about when am I looking at the data? When do I allow people to look at the data? And this happens, this is what I found a lot, is you get the guy going in there and saying, oh, I see that the sales went in, but they might be looking at the cost of goods, but they haven't costing hasn't been run. So those aren't the real ones yet. So you have to be very careful, like almost when you allowed or, or kind of saying this the little data was last updated X or, you know, or or sending those report, not getting them access, but sending them once a month or once a week. So the criticality part is really the timing of when your system's being refreshed and when you're refreshing that data lake and when you're allowing people to say, that's the truth. Like this is the truth because I've run costing. So now what you're seeing is results as opposed to expected results. Or yeah, sure, this is the revenue went out the door. I can tell you that's right because I invoiced the client, but I haven't can't tell you what I've what it cost me to do it yet because I haven't run costing or posted. And so again, you have to be careful about that. That's the that's the downside because of course we know it's ERP, right? I've got to run costing. Um, so it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing it once a month, then you're only talking about it once a month. So at least on Jim's side. Hey, at least once a month, we better go look at this thing. And hopefully it's on day five. Like, right? I mean, how fast is your close? And let's go back to your processes. How fast can you close your month? How fast can I see results so that I'm not too deep into the next month to then maybe affect some changes or see it? And I would go back to what Jim said. Like, you want to be reviewing results monthly, even weekly if you really can, kind of tweaking or just seeing where you're going or making sure we're not off balance. Once a month, really looking at results. I'd say once a quarter. 
really looking at your budget again, kind of just kind of like, hey, are we on track? Are we doing this? Do we need to make some changes? Also recognize your business. Maybe you have a cyclical business, and this goes back to kind of, you know, I'm just going to you know, make it my budget 10% and just cross the board. Is your business cyclical? Like, do you build up your thing and say, I'm going to spend $100,000 a year on this and just divide by 12 and put that across my budget? Well, I mean, that's not realistic. You know, there's four-week months and five-week months, or you maybe you're in a 13th period, or maybe your business is really retail and you're cyclical to holidays. So you're going to do 40% of your business in the beginning of the year and 60% at the end of the year. So does your budget reflect that too? Is your budget reflected upon what you're really going to do? Um, so again, there's a lot of key components there to really work through. Very interesting. So let's touch a little bit more on the cyclical component. So when you are looking at that, are you looking at, again, uh, you have already mentioned that ERP systems are probably not as good at budgeting. So are we looking at another system or uh, or are we going outside of the ERP system to be able to do this? How are we doing this? No, that's results. That's just your that's your reporting tool. That's just looking at your results, saying okay. like, I've looked at my business. And I'm looking at one year, right? If you're you know, looking at three years, right? You're kind of, depending on what your business is, but you're kind of looking at your trends and saying, okay, I see where my trends and it just seems like, these clients are monthly, these clients are quarterly, these clients are, you know, once a year. You really have to understand, again, it's understanding your clients because you may have different types of clients. I had clients that were, you know, were um, government contracts and it was just once a month, right? That was it. So I knew what that revenue, I just kind of, that's what it was. And it might adjust a month to month. I might have clients that were governments that did once a quarter, right? Then I had gift card clients, you know, I had the more of a commodity product that was, whenever they felt like buying, because it's more about the client. So I don't know, but I have to look at my, oh, these clients buy a lot at retail at the end of the year. That's just their heaviest buying cycle. So I know that I'm going to have more of that business, which again, now affects going back to how many people do I need to have? Can I support this business? Am I going to all of a sudden, by the way, when I have this ramp up of lots of work, I might have lots of overtime. So am I also factoring in my overtime? Do I have the right staff in place to support the product plan that I'm making? And will I be in trouble? And it's like, great, I got all this great revenue in the second half of my year, but I also have tons of overtime committed to getting the product out because I have the right staff. So there's, there's a lot going on there. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. So, Aaron, I actually am giving you perfect stage uh, in talking about, you know, why people should not buy ELP systems and uh, so many complicated IT systems. I mean, why do they need that? So let's let's unpack this a little bit. I'm not against ERP systems, but I I, I am against most ERP implementations and usage afterwards. Uh, so basically, get your game on, Sam. <laughs> it's, I'll say from a, each of these systems usually operationally based, as yep. they should be. I will never interfere with the, the, the you know, purchase and running of a production line system. You, you have to have these things. In finance and accounting terms, we call them sub-ledgers. The data in them then feeds a general edge. We don't have to get into that data transfer. Uh, they are very effective in managing the operation. In fact, they're essential in managing the operation. My issue is translating operational data into financial data, either for financial reporting purposes, call it either the SEC or GAP or whatever, or, or, or financial decision information. So in the financial decisioning information, you really care about two things. You care about cash flow and you care about profitability. Those are the two things. And each of these, as Bob said, each of these have different, this data means different things at different times and it has to match up differently. So none, none of these is, I will go, if we go back to one of the things that we've talked about here is 
And I think we've mixed and matched the difference between a budget and a forecast. And that could yeah. be semantics. They could be you know, certain companies have different budgetary cycles. But I would say as long as you understand what each of these systems are for, and you have an agreed upon methodology of which when the data comes out and what decisions you are making, you're fine. Where you get into trouble is when someone pulls, you know, I'm going to take what you said, Bob, and riff off, riff on it. You take data from one system and it says, well, you know, like uh, this is what happened. So obviously this means sales. I mean, like, it could mean, but is it translated to the general ledger? And in finance, you will instantly lose legitimacy if someone has different numbers. Well, I have this. Well, I have that. I don't care if it says as of this. Someone will always bring in the deck that you showed four months ago. And it's usually some crazy executive that's written something on it. Says, well, how do you explain this deck over here and that number? Well, time, actual. There's a lot of things. Forex. It could be a lot of different things affecting it. But I'll go. So, so I would say you probably did. You probably didn't ex expect that answer, Sam. That the earpiece are okay. But and. <laughs> But if you think about it, really what we're using is budgeting helps decisioning not only in capital commitments and what we plan on doing, but then also once that budget's set, then reality hits. And then you get all the different the, – the standard phrase, whether it's in boxing or in life, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Everyone's got a plan. Everyone's got, there's, there's so many versions of that saying. So I would, I would go back to when decision-making – whether it's can I spend money or or what should I do in this situation now that something has changed, that's when the already agreed upon whatever's happening in the ERP system, what's ever happening in your financial system, and figuring out what data we use and how we use it is of the utmost importance. I know that's, that's a lot of high-level words, and people are like, wow, you just said a lot of nothing. So I'll leave you with that. And I can get into like real-world stories in a lot of detail if you want. I actually definitely want to get into that. But Chris, did you have a comment before or no? Okay. So uh, do you want to get into either stories or maybe describe what is the difference between budgeting and forecasting? Because I don't know if a lot of people are going to be familiar with that. Aaron. Sure. Also, so if you think about it, you, you a, a budget usually is something set in stone. A budget is like what you compare against. Yeah. A forecast is what you think the future is going to be and it's consistently updated. Think about, let's just say that you, as I'll give you a simple example. You've got a board meeting quarterly. You've all agreed upon budgetary targets at the beginning of the year. This is what you're using to have a higher plan approved. This is, uh, funnily enough, it says you wonder why so many hires happen in February and not January. It's not that people aren't looking for jobs, that their budget hasn't been approved yet. So you can't, you can't legally, you can't, not legally, but you can't buy your, your firm have hires approved. So this, and so we'll, so sometimes you'll see in reporting is what did I, we originally promise, whether it's, I promised the investors, I promised the board, I promised CEO, whatever it is. And this thing is consistently looked at and that's good for a couple of months. And so think about a budget and a forecast is basically a prediction over the future, just like a budget is, but it's with updated real-time data. So think about, and they, I, you could view a, a budget as just a forecast at the beginning of the year, and a forecast is just a prediction of the future with the first quarter done, with the second quarter done. And you could say, maybe you only forecast out to the end of the year, or you forecast out 12 months. It, that's all semantics. That actually doesn't matter. So, But from a budgetary perspective, what's going to be important is, it's, it's what is this thing used for? Now, in certain in, in certain companies, what you signed on, like you have a revenue budget, 
that might be in your comp plan. If you're the head of sales, that might be exactly what you're bonused on each and, and it, or it might not be. And so getting that updated with a forecast could take a, an effort of the board. Follow so far? Do I need to get more specifics? I'm speaking too general. No, I think we are pretty good right now. Thank you right. so much. So we are going to move to uh, Jim. Uh, and Jim, uh, we are going to address this comment from the audience to make sure that we are addressing uh, whether you agree, disagree with the comment. So I'm going to read out and after that you can take uh, on this one. So this is, uh, I don't know who this person is, to be honest, because we don't have the name, but hopefully that is going to be there on LinkedIn. So it is, uh, he or she is saying, Jimmy, budget everything about it is uh, about communication priorities and decisions down the chain, which is really important in my head. C-level people can't be all the way down in the trenches writing every check. Yes, that is right. And what the budget is how they mandate compliance with the grand marching orders. Do you agree with these statement? Do you not agree with these statement? What are your thoughts? So I agree with the statement, but in reality, it doesn't really work that way because normally there's not much communication coming down from the top to other people as to how we're doing on the budget. That's the sad part. Um, most business owners don't want to disclose financial information to the rest of the company. And so it really just lives in the accounting, in the financial world, and maybe at the, the head of sales and the head of operations are getting the data. But really, what, what, the, what this user is asking is really important because it should be disseminated throughout the organization, how we're doing on our budget. So everybody knows you know, what it means for them with respect to bonuses, what it means to them with respect to the company staying in business and meeting its goals and what they should be doing every day when they come to work. I mean, it, it's super important, but I would say in reality, most most businesses do a poor job of communicating how how they're do how they're doing on their budget or or forecast or you know whatever um, tool we're talking about. Okay, amazing. So we have uh, one more question and and comment. I don't know if you are in a position to address that as well. So obviously, Bo is saying yes. I have seen the end user nightmare with bad ERP implementations not focused on the end user inputs and output needs. I know this is a very generic comment. But I am looking to get insight into budgeting. You know, how is bad ERP implementation going to reflect in budgeting? Uh, I don't know if you're going to have any thoughts there, uh, Jim. Um, uh, well, I mean, I was going to say this before is, you know, we're talking about data and the financial statements are really just a compilation of a lot of data that ends up in a, in a spreadsheet, in an income statement and balance sheet. But behind that data is what's going on in your inventory, what's going on in your CRM, what's going on in your manufacturing operation. All of that culminates in what ends up in the income statement. So knowing what the trends are going on in the data is super important in um, getting to a proper budget and a proper forecast. And if you have bad data coming out of your ERP, then, then, or you can't get to the data that's in your ERP, then, then that, that's where the issues get caused, I believe. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Jim, for that. So we can do a short round of the horror stories. So Chris, I'm actually going to come back to you. Any horror stories that you have seen because of poor budgeting? Sorry, I hate to do Overspend. You know, I think that's the, that's the biggest example where uh, they didn't have the encumbrance, they didn't have the commitments, and the, the reality check was they looked at the financial 60 days later and it was one of those Aaron's pool comments like, what are we going to do about that? <laughs> you know, we can't pay for that. And and again, when you don't have the cash to pay for something that showed up on your dock and somebody signed for, it's a problem. So it was absolutely a balance sheet nightmare where, again, it was probably a million dollar transaction that should. But again, had they known that they were 
overextended. And again, cash flow visibility. They were out of money 60 days ago. That's the, that's the worst one I've seen. And okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Bob, do you have any horror stories that you might be able to share because of poor budget planning? Everything goes perfectly, Sam. Come on, you know that. Yeah, again, kind of going back to, again, having a poor budget coming out of the gate because you start the first quarter and everyone just makes these assumptions. Again, thinking about your budget is like, you should be thinking about it in the third quarter, like in the fourth quarter, what am I going to do in the first quarter? So I've seen it so many times where you basically, you come out of the gate, your expectations are, hey, here's what we're going to start with. And you don't have any contracts yet, but you're, you're making this plan to be what you're measuring and what I'm going to sell. And you don't sell anything. You come out of the first quarter and you're like, oh my God, we're, we're our revenue is like 30% below what we plan to be. Yet I've already hired all these people because I thought I'd be there. And I've already bought stuff. I've already got the equipment because I know I'm, I think I'm going to be there. So again, you've just kind of made some really bad assumptions. You just kind of, it's more that wish. You just kind of said, I think I'm going to do business. And you don't really know when you're going to do it. But you just say, I'll just spread it evenly across my year. And of course, I'll do this in the first quarter. So I've seen a lot of that where you just don't have the right plan in place. You haven't, the timing is important, right? Timing is important and where you put it in there. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob. Aaron, any horror stories in your experience because of poor budgeting? Every day. <laughs> I'll give you one, and that's when different people that are in charge or have connection to revenue don't fully align on what they've what they've signed up for or what they thought they signed up for or they never signed up for and they said they signed up for. You know, you can read into that cryptic word lies. Yes. Oh, no, I didn't say that. Uh, I... Uh, I give you the very quick version of this. I work with the, the head of sales on his his, I, um, his commitments. I worked with the uh, head of success, which is basically renewals and upsell on her team's commitments. I worked with marketing on their thoughts of what they could bring in to triangulate. I brought it back to them. Every single one of them said, please sign off. They said yes. Gave it to the CEO. He presented to the board. Two, two months later, we start reporting off of this. And we're drastically off budget, right? We're comparing to budget. And the head of sales says, oh, that number might have been something I committed to ages ago, but I was at a board meeting and, I, and we changed the number. I'm like, that's interesting. No one told me that. Do you have any idea the cash flow implications of this? So I said, okay. I said, I asked the CEO, do you confirm this? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. We changed the number. We changed the number. Not realizing when you lower your commitment to sales, you have less money in the future because you didn't change your expenses. And I went back to him and says, yeah, remember when we uh, said your runway was uh, 13 months? It's now eight. A couple of tables were flipped. How could this happen? How could you let this happen? I'm like, what? Yeah, it's because, yeah, just because it has a number, a decimal or a dollar sign attached to it doesn't mean that it's magically within my purview. And it was, well, you know, you committed to lower sales. What do you think was going to happen? I don't understand how this could happen. We're going to have to raise more money or you could sell more or you could spend less. It all, it all ended up well, but it was a very stressful few months after that. So that's uh, a typical, uh, that's, that's happens probably every day. Love that story. Thank you so much, Evan, for that. Uh, so, Jim, horror story uh, because of budgeting. Well, I mean, it goes back to the cookie cutter way of doing budgeting where you're you're just doing it based off last year's numbers. I, I had a client last year and we started down the road and they had they gave me their budget and um, they had not built into the budget that plan to buy about a million dollars of equipment in a manufacturing company. And so 
once they bought the equipment and they made the installation, all that cost, you know, flowed into the income statement and the depreciation started rolling. And, you know, we weren't seeing any change in the in the revenue or in increasing efficiency in the plant. And so, you know, without again, without with just doing it that way, you, you're going to set yourself up for failure when you get to the execution side because you're not doing a proper plan. Your, your budget, again, is based on, you know, old data that's that's irrelevant. You really need to make sure it aligns with the changes you're making to your business and how it how it's going to impact the income statement and the cash flow. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tim, for that. So something, another great example, a horror story, is the ERP project. And if you think about the budget you get for your ERP project and they blew it, and, and again, now what we're starting to talk about is non-financial budget management constraint. And, you know, if you think about the example where, okay, I sold you a $500,000 service project for an ERP implementation, where do you put that budget? How do you manage that budget? And I'm just exposing um, challenges in most business systems because, you know, what do you do? You create a PO for $500,000 and you're three-way matching and, hey, I'm at seven hundred. dollars It's a problem, right? So, you know, those are, those are the realities. And I've seen projects get over-delivered. And I think that as we think about the, the, the consumer side, and this is advisory, is, you know, do you create a new GL account to track an ERP project? If you're not doing budget at the financial level, you already got a challenge. Some people end up with project subledgers in their ERP system to track budgets for non, again, it may be a subset of an IT project, but again, you may need to use a subledger to manage a budget. And I think that's just the, the topic I'm introducing here. But the horror story is, yeah, the ERP project that went off the rails and the customer didn't know that they spent 50% more than they were quoted. And again, you need to know because you just say, hey, it's accountability, right? This is vendor accountability, different different scenario here. So quick follow-up comment there and, and clarification as well. So you said only 30%. And typically, in my experience, that is probably going to be 5 30%. Uh, okay. <laughs> because you know how ERP projects are, right? I mean, vendors are trying to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what if they are trying to do whatever they can in their power. Because nobody likes to hear that it's probably going to be a million-dollar deal. <laughs> this is purchase contracts. And so then you go back to, you know, again, we're sub-ledger managing purchase contracts where terms and conditions that, that cap overages and then okay there's change management and change orders but again now we're outside of the financial budgeting process but we're still trying to control a budget because it does impact the financial budget at some point but it's managed more at the subledger level so you're right you introduce a lot of variables at that point where you're starting to try to manage a subset i just thought i'd throw that out there because it's a complexity a lot of businesses and they just don't do a good job and i know that on the partner side we see people that they don't know what they spent and I'm like, okay. Okay, amazing. I don't know if anybody else is going to have any follow-up comment on the ERP budgeting process. I think that could be a you know discussion in itself. Uh, no? Okay. Then that's that's a subject for another day. Right? Uh, okay, Chris, uh, closing advice, please. Then we can wrap. I think that what I was thinking about is you don't have to budget everything. So we talk about crawl, walk, run. And, you know, it's like manufacturing micro, macro variants. Okay, the stuff that, that's not a problem. Focus on the stuff that's a problem if you haven't done any budgeting. Expenses. Maybe this is hey, this is out of control. Focus on that. Yeah. So again, you don't have to boil the ocean. Is my advice. Start someplace. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Bob, closing advice, please. Yeah, closing advice. It says, you know, one, get the right people in the room, right? Just make sure the right people in the room, and then understand their needs and purposes for what a budget's doing for them, right? Just kind of knowing that because everyone has different needs and for why a budget exists. So having those right people in the room and understand what the kind of the whys behind it would be really helpful. Right, people in the room. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. Uh, Aaron, what would be your closing advice, please? Think about the inner inner effects of what your what your commitments or what you're proposing in your budget will affect others. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Aaron, for that. Uh, Jim, what would be your closing advice, please? 
don't forget to practice strategic budgeting. Make sure your your strategy is built into your budget and you just don't take last year's numbers and add and subtract. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, uh, Jim, for that. So that's it for uh, today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation, and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. So make sure you are going to be here next week. We are going to have another topic. Uh, on that note, thanks once again, everybody, for your time. and insight. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Good seeing you guys. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Jim Downs, head over to blueprintcfo.com. It's B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-C-F-O.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Aaron Spool, head over to aventusag.com. It's E-V-E-N-T-U-S-A-G.com. If you want to learn more about Bob Feathers, head over to bindable.com. It's B-I-N-D-A-B-L-E.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jim Downs, who shares his insights into the importance of tracking meaningful financial KPIs to improve profitability and growth for CPG companies. Also, the interview with Aaron Spool from Aventus Advisory Group, who describes what it means to have a cash flow mindset in the organization. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.